Hello and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today we're going to be discussing peace through music in episode 15. If you're new here, I'm Victoria and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a podcast through which we and our guest crew examine some of the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. At the top of the room, we have pinned our Star Trek Sundays link tree. This site lists the topics for the final three weeks of season one and includes links to the memory alpha pages that provide you with the details for the episodes we'll be contemplating and watching at the watch party. And if you can't make it to the watch party, you can check the memory alpha page to find out what series, season and episodes we'll be watching so that you can watch at your leisure. The Star Trek Sundays podcast is available one week after the live show on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and from anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please consider subscribing to our channels. It can help us reach others who might enjoy the show. So thank you, T, for curating this week's watch list. The watch party on Discord yesterday was a lot of fun as usual, and there was lots of activity in the chat on Discord, as well as the discussions between the shows and after the party on Clubhouse, which I think we went until like four o'clock. So there were lots, there was a lot to say about this. So before we get to the questions that I want to put to you and the crew, please tell us what inspired the title of the room and the topic and how you chose the watch list. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah, the the whole idea of music is a pretty a pretty unusual one. I, I I admit because you generally don't get a lot of musical interludes in Star Trek from the characters themselves. So, nevertheless, when the show writers wanted to show the more vulnerable sides of the people, music was one of the things that they invoked as a critical part of who we are and how we operate and get along with each other. The episodes today were curated to show the more peaceful side of Star Trek and tell a story about the condition that is uniquely human, or in some cases, uniquely humanoid. So I hope to have a more relaxing conversation today as we explore how Star Trek gives us peace through music. Thank you, T. So we are discussing peace through music, and I will be bringing people up to the stage to share their thoughts on these questions in just a few minutes. T, let's start with Q&A. This is uh, Short Treks. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what it was about? And then I've got a few questions for you. Definitely. Q&A from Star Trek Short Treks, Season 2, Episode 1, first aired on the 5th of October, 2019. So in this episode, Spock finds himself trapped in a turbo lift with his new commanding officer, number one, on his first time aboard Pike's Enterprise. I chose this episode because it's amazing. It's a perfect little short story about two people trapped in an awkward situation and in turn discovering each other's passion. The dialogue was amazing, the characters were brilliant, and the climax was number one singing Modern Major General from Pirates of Penzance in a glorious crescendo of music that brings them such peace and happiness in a moment I never wanted to end. Well, I'm with you. As you and the people at the watch party know, I absolutely loved this episode. I've seen it three times this week, 
I might watch it three times next week. I don't know. Short treks are great generally. This one hit a spot somewhere for me with the tension between number one and Spock. I couldn't get enough of this. There was not one word wasted. Like to me, it was short. Sure, it wasn't a full episode of Star Trek, but it was like a perfect scene. It's, I think it's scenes that actors dream about getting to the music part in this episode number one allows her freaky to fly when she bursts out into song can you think of a time when music brought you closer to somebody so many times i think that a lot of my relationships have been you know defined through music i think that you have songs uh you know the song your favorite song together or um you know the thing that you have at your wedding or the just, you know, part of the relationship seems to go around that. But one friend in particular, um, when I was growing up, I used to drive around a 77 Chevy Impala um, that I had inherited from my great grandmother. Um, and she, uh, th this thing was a, was a boat. I mean, it did, I mean, it did, you know, zero to 60 in, in eight or nine minutes or so is what it took. Um, and so... <laughs> We used to sit, my friend and I used to drive around in this absolute hoopty and listen to music. And this thing only had an AM radio in it. It didn't have an FM radio or a cassette or anything. So we brought a, a boom box and we sat there in these massive bench seats with the boom box between us and listened to, you know, a lot of Pearl Jam. And my friend would... He, he brought along his drumsticks and he started just, you know, playing because he played the drums. And so he started playing on, you know, the dash of my car. And this became a thing. We used to just drive around with the music blaring at the top of our, you know, singing along at the top of our blaring at the top of our lungs and and him beating on the dash with the with the drumsticks. That dash fell apart. All the foam fell off of it. The whole thing was just a wreck. You know, by the time he was done with it, it was all dented and just, you know, completely ruined by his drumsticks. But it was the best time and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Oh, that sounds awesome it sort of takes me back uh it, i'm i'm picturing it as if it was a scene a little bit later but a scene very similar to something from dazed and confused <laughs> so oh i i i really i really like that I mean, music is so important to me and i i have a ton of different stories that um i could talk about um and uh, some which will probably make me cry later today uh, but uh, in the meantime let's start inviting people up to see if they want to share an experience they had and if they can think of a time when music brought them closer to somebody so right now on stage we have lasha joshua and james Oh, and Barsha. Great. Thanks for coming up, Barsha. I know Barsha's a musician, so she'll probably have a lot to say on this topic today. Um, welcome to the stage, Lasha. I'll put this question to you right now. Can you think of a time when music brought you closer to someone? Heck yes. Um, music has been my love language for the long, as long as I can remember. I was starved for it. I, I didn't listen to it for maybe eight years, between eight and 16. And when I got to high school, 
Um, it was very, very hard time for me. I didn't feel like I found any music that was, I didn't know about that music was everywhere. Um, I was raised, I was raised very in sheltered, so I didn't know about a lot of secular music. Um, and when I got to high school, um, I, my life actually um, was falling down. I didn't know why I was so depressed and why I was so taken aback. And it just got to the point where I was just so bleak. And one of my friends kind of kidnapped me and brought me to her home afterwards. And so T and Gala, you guys are really hitting my 90s, like high school dream right here is because my best friend in that school saved my life with one song. One song saved my life. And because of that one song, it transpired into me finding an entire subculture of people who I'm still very close friends with today. I can't tell you who I know in high school anymore. I really can't. I can, they know me from the clubs that they've seen me in with these people that I feel like I've grown up with and our connection has always been the love of this music and this subculture. I mean, we fought with each other. We've, you know, protested with each other. We've had babies with each other. We've gotten married and divorced. And it's just, music is a life-saving tool for a lot of people. And I'm, I, I'm really glad that this one came. I didn't think about it this deep until right now, but thank you for this topic. This is an amazing one. That's great. Thank you for that, Lasha. I really appreciate that. So Joshua, can you think of a time when music brought you closer to somebody? I can. Um, I do want to say that I absolutely loved this episode, and I specifically w uh, broke my compulsion of watching things and the order in which they were released because you spoke so highly of this episode. Great recommendation. Uh, two things come to mind. I'll start with the first so that I have time to say the most important. My dad and I have had kind of an interesting exchange over the years. And one of the things that regardless of how much he and I have gotten along or if we're kind of having any kind of disagreements is our idea, both of our ideologies have changed quite a lot over the years. That my dad is a musician and my dad was in bands um, before I was really born even. And, you know, especially growing up in the, in the eighties, he was in a lot of not these bands, but bands like Susie and the Banshees and the Slits and a lot of kind of like, you know, female fronted uh, kind of post-punk kind of gothy stuff. And what, regardless of how like disconnected he and I might be, no matter how long it's been, no matter what instruments are available, we might have like a bucket and a broken ukulele and he and I can just immediately connect and play music together. And it is one of the things that um, I will really consistently cherish because it doesn't matter if we have words to say, um, we can just speak with the music and it's a really beautiful moment. Thank you for that. You know, you just, I don't know why, I don't know what it was that made you, um, what you said that made me think of this, uh, but I just, I feel like I want to share this to get it off my chest. You know, I've thought about these questions a lot and there's a lot of stuff that is really deep, but I'm just thinking like about the healing and um, I have a, a friend who's probably like my best buddy, right? I try not to use the term best friend for lots of reasons, but she and I have been really good friends since uh, we were in our late teens. We didn't go to high school together and, and she had like a a cousin of sorts, one of those fake cousins where the families were friends. 
uh, that was her best friend. And we became a trio and they had grown up together. And uh, over the years, this friend of mine, Paige, and I became quite close and Kim moved away. And, and of course, we'd listen to music and we were all about like retro and 60s and mod revival stuff. And uh, Kim was dying and she lived far from us and we had to go visit her in the winter time. And um, I made a playlist for us to listen on the way up. And it, it soothed us. It helped us a lot. And it needed to do that because we actually didn't make it in time. And, um, you know, the coming home was a lot quieter. But we were able to play that playlist at our Celebration of Life for Kim. And I still have the playlist. And I just, it, it's not just about me. I feel like it represents something it's just not my favorite songs. It represents my relationship with these people, not even just those people, but my relationship with them. So I just wanted to interrupt because I can, because I'm the captain and, and share that. And so thank you, because something you said reminded me of this and I hadn't thought about it yet. And all this contemplation this week over these episodes, I, I hadn't been reminded of that. And although it's a sad memory, it's really beautiful because I feel a lot of love right now. So thank you. Let's go to Barsha. Barsha, are you there? Yes, I am here. Um, okay. And I was just okay. So I wanted to answer the first question, but can you? T t did you do the second question? No, already? we haven't. I I was going to move on after oh, James, but no. The first question is, and and that I put to you is, can you think of a time, Barsha, when music brought you closer to someone? Okay, that's the one I wanted to answer. Um, and then coincidentally, my huswife, who I call huswife, that's my name because my huswife is non-binary. Uh, my huswife came down the stairs and I was just about to talk about my huswife because they're, the reason we're together is because of music, um, period. I mean, I was the music director of a show and my huswife is a trumpet player. And I use all pronouns, by the way, because they take all pronouns. And he was sitting there playing the trumpet and she, and her sound was so incredibly beautiful, seriously, that I lost my mind. And I said, who is this person who can make a sound like that out of a trumpet? <laughs> and I felt um, my husband's soul literally through the trumpet, which I still do to this day and it's 20 years later. Uh, it makes me cry um, when he plays. So that is, it for me as far as and music affects me that way anyway but to have someone you love in your life that no matter what they do when they pick up that instrument and it sounds like that you get emotionally moved um is just incredible i just wanted to say that thank you so much barsha what a great story i i, I love that and yeah it's it's funny the different things that turn us on about people for sure well it is uh almost 1025. So we'll move on to the next episode. And then uh, as usual, people can answer this question or the next and, and I'll make sure that they know which ones they are and we'll, we'll um, continue on through the list. This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. Our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. Today we are discussing peace through music. The next episode we watched was Innocence. T, can you tell us about this episode? And then I have a few questions. Definitely. Innocence, 
from Star Trek Voyager, Season 2, Episode 22, first aired on the 8th of April, 1996. In this episode, Tuvok finds some children on a planet who say they are being hunted and attempts to save them from the danger. I chose this episode because Tuvok is entrusted with these children on an alien planet and tries to teach them how to approach life through the philosophical lens of a Vulcan, but eventually has to drop his logical stance and simply sing the restless children to sleep. Thank you, T. What a sweet episode this was. And, and it was layered. And we've talked about this, though we're talking about the music this week. Um, I would really like to discuss the transition of the children and the aging process of this species another time. Um, and so I, I look forward to revisiting this episode and others like it next season. I was a bit surprised that after the kids said that two other kids went missing, the night before that Tuvok still let the kids sleep far from him near the fire and wasn't even watching them. He was fixing, <laughs> he was fixing the, the shuttlecraft. And I thought maybe he would have pulled them in closer to him because had he been watching, he would have been able to see them be drawn to the cave and maybe understand the situation a little bit more. So that was, that was a little bit of a funny, it's like, Oh yeah, kids go missing. Yeah. You guys will be fine over there by the fire. Anyway, uh, I loved the fire scene. Um, I think these, these circles, whether it's around a fire or just in the living room where people are playing music, just they do bring people together. Even if you're on the perimeter, you know, and you're just listening and maybe you're making a drink or you don't sing and you don't play, but a group of people are playing at a party or something. It just, there's this live music thing that's beautiful. And when parents sing to their kids, it's just phenomenal. So in, in this episode, what I was referring to is Tuvok singing to the children so that they can sleep, so that they can relax and, and maybe alleviate some of their fears. So T, do you have music that you use to relax or to be productive to maybe? Yeah, I certainly do. Um, when I go to sleep, I say, uh, Ziggy, play Pink Floyd radio. And then I say, Ziggy, we're going to sleep which is a shortcut for turn off the music in half an hour. And that way I don't like wake up in the middle of the night, you know, with the, with the, the screeching of, you know, children in the background or something. But it's one of my favorite ways to just relax and fall asleep. And then when I want to teach, generally I'll put on like some calm Japanese music, like just some, you know, gentle pan flutes or something in the background. Just something really peaceful. But when I want to code, it's all about the happy hardcore. Pump that to, you know, 200 beats a minute and let it go. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it, it's very interesting to for me to hear what helps people get productive. Sometimes it's trance music for some people. Sometimes it's really upbeat music or ska. Uh, I like to have a little bit of relaxing music in the background for some reason. But that's... That's interesting. Uh, we'll have to share some playlists sometimes. Maybe that can be the homework for this week is everybody can make a playlist on Linktree or something and we can share it with each other. Uh, and I'll put this question to you, the director. Do you have music that you like to relax to or something that helps you be extra productive? Mm, yeah, I often listen to binaural beats, which sounds so cheesy. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but um i find that it helps 
keep my spastic mind calm so that I can just focus on what I'm doing, you know. And as far as music that it has been important to me here pretty recently, I was in a very dark place. Uh, but my father was is finishing an, an album. And uh, so I did a bunch of lyric videos. And in the process of listening to my father's music over and over and over again, and in four songs in particular, what I heard in there is not what the lyrics were saying to me, but because of the way I see things and the way things come to me, what I was receiving is how much, you know, one of the songs is Life is Beautiful. Another song is Black Mountain Woman, which was the first one, which allowed me to feel release from being under what I was feeling like was a black magic, you know, that, that I was released to be able to go out into the world. I no longer had to be held back. And Life is Beautiful just reminded me that you know, the simple pleasure of life is what life is about, you know, and that's just two of them. And, and, and so I was able to listen to music that my father had made while I was creating something to add to it visually and lift myself out of a basement. And if dad doesn't say something about music, I don't know what does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it really is. It is healing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Joanna, welcome to the stage. Do you have music that you use to relax or to be extra productive to? Thank you, Victoria. Well, I grew up with that disco and rock and roll. Uh, but now at this stage, I eliminate lyrics, songs with lyrics, and I go more to an instrumental um, or chimes because I'm, I get very emotional when I hear songs. <laughs> I naturally uh, go back to a scene like you did when I first heard that song or when a memory of that song was playing that I had with someone else. So to relax, I again, I eliminate songs that are going to remind me of anything that might make me emotional because that's what it tends to do. Thank you. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it does bring out emotions. Obviously, I... I shared some earlier as well. So thank you for sharing that. Steve, welcome to the stage. Thank you once again for organizing the watch party yesterday. That was lots of fun. So I put this question to you. Do you have music that you use to relax or to help you be extra productive? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I actually have a specially picked out um, a radio online radio station that I listen to when I go to sleep. Um, there's a few of them that I like, but this is one that I both I like and my wife can stand having it playing openly in the bedroom. It's called um, Ambient Sleeping Pill. <laughs> I get it off of an a online radio app called um, Radio Droid. And then um, let's see, when it comes to while I'm working, if I'm not listening to the news or listening to people on Clubhouse, when I'm trying to be productive, I usually turn to hard rock uh, or anything from classical rock to heavy metal or classic heavy metal um, to some some new contemporary stuff. I just like that that energy, the the aggression, the passion. Um, that or I might switch to say, like like some some techno, some some upbeat um, stuff that's like uh, oftentimes video game music, you know, turned turned in remixed. 
I, I also want to kind of point out, like, there's something to this question, right? And how it, how it actually um, applies to a lot of us, right? I do imagine, I kind of envision where a lot of this technology has been going of late, that at some point we're going to have um, algorithms that know us well and could optimize our performance by giving us sounds in our daily background without us having to select each time when we want to hear them. And I kind of imagine, wouldn't that be an interesting thing? Like, uh, to actually try to control ourselves better with artificial intelligence. Oh, man, that would be so cool. I, I didn't know where you were going with that. I, I, I like where you went, where, like, I guess I could schedule that if my dopamine levels go down a certain amount, that a particular kind of music is played. That I was thinking that depending on our mood, the music, new music would be made. Right. So it was, it was similar because I wanted to talk about the science of music. And so maybe we can get to that a little bit later. Cause I, what I put, and I didn't want to forget, I put in the chat was Marconi union weightless. This is a piece of music that is don't, don't come at me here guys, but it was scientifically proven to help with focus. Like there was an algorithm in there somewhere that is supposed to help. And it's one of these pieces of music that, I have played in many different offices and every time I play it, everyone loves it. They either think it's peaceful, they think it's energizing, they th it, it's whatever you want it to be. It's weird. Like they th go, oh, I feel like I'm at a spa and they feel refreshed and, and I feel that way too. I love it. So I use it as background and you can find it on YouTube for 10 hours or something. But it, it's interesting. So maybe we can talk about the science of music later. Uh, T, did you have any thoughts on what we've heard so far? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, the The idea of tying artificial intelligence algorithms to your biorhythms and the music that you play, I think is a fantastic idea because that's exactly what machine learning is really well equipped to do. It's really well equipped to measure when you're productive and listening to this thing versus when you're productive and not listening to this thing or listening to this other thing and making some quantitative model around, you know, your actual, um, your, your actual productivity and saying, oh, look, when, you know, when you were listening to this genre, your dopamine levels were boosted. And uh, when you were listening to this genre, they weren't nearly as high, right? And so I think that that's very, very cool. And we should probably have some sort of protocol around um, specifying, you know, what you prefer in terms of music and capturing all of that data in terms of usage. Yeah, very cool. Christy, can you think of a time when music brought you closer to somebody and or do you have music that you like to relax to or uh, that helps you be extra productive? Well, um, I'm going to answer the second one first because I have an answer for that one for sure, which is that I love listening to Baroque. Baroque music is like my favorite thing for focusing and getting getting productive. And I think it's funny because um, I don't remember who it was that was talking that said something about um, oh binaural beats, I think. Um, and he was saying, oh, it's just so... 
I, I feel bad saying this. I'm like, you shouldn't feel bad. <laughs> Whatever works for you. That's how I feel. And um, I just love Baroque music. The only problem with Baroque music is that I love it so much now that I sometimes get lost in the melodies because <laughs> I really love Baroque music. Um, and, you know, I think in a way, almost Baroque music has sort of been lost. Like, I feel like there's just not a lot of people playing it. There's not a lot of it happening at all because I guess it's so old, but I do love it. And, um, and then as far as feeling closer to someone, I mean, you know, a lot of times people have like, this is my song kind of thing. Like there's always a song that's associated like, oh, the song was playing and that's when we met. And now this is our song and all that kind of stuff. I often think about that. Um, there was this one guy that I was really in love with and he, um, he played this song for me and it was like so amazing. And even though we broke up and I was very sad about that, I still really, really love that song. <laughs> Yeah, but there's just so many times when music makes you feel closer to someone, I think. I I just I think music is just like a glue that sort of holds a lot of things together and I think it's really awesome. So, I'm going to stop there. Well, thank you for that share and thank you for uh, uh flashing your mic just to get my attention there. I I really appreciate that. So, this one I've invited um a few more people up on stage and I'm really hoping that by pointing her out, Charlotte will come up because the question that we have for this one is something that we talked about in yesterday's after party and uh, lots of people had different views on this and I think that it's something that we need to um, contemplate as people in workforces anywhere. So that was the little hint. This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. Our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. Today, we are discussing peace through music. The next episode we watched was Lessons. T, can you tell us about this episode? And then I'll put the questions to you and the crew. Definitely. Lessons from Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 6, Episode 19, first aired April 5th, 1993. And I love this episode because I very clearly remember watching it with my dad when it first aired. In this episode, Captain Picard falls in love with one of his subordinates from Stellar Cartography and has to make a hard choice about where his loyalties lie. I chose this episode because Picard and Darren bond over their shared love of music and go exploring the Enterprise together to find the perfect place to uh, make music together in private. <laughs> oh. Yes, love again. And a perfect bookend to this trio of episodes. I see what you're doing here with your curation, by the way, and it's brilliant. So thank you. I didn't realize how much I loved the tension in Star Trek. I, I really want to look for more sexy Star Trek. So I'm putting that out to you uh, for next season. My thought was Picard Picard, Patrick Stewart is such a good actor. And it, it's interesting because we see a lot of expressions that he doesn't usually have. And I could really believe he had the feelings he had, despite them being these expressions we don't don't normally see for this character. And I really like the part where he asks Riker to go to go fencing. And it's a bit goofy because he pretends to fence with his index finger and then like pokes. Riker in the chest. I just thought that was such a sweet episode and I would love to see bloopers from that. That was just that was just brilliant. So in this episode, 
Picard and Darren fall in love because of their shared love of music. And I think that they both thought the, the, each other was pretty good looking. But they're torn apart by their jobs. Have you ever been in a situation where your job had to take priority over your personal goals? And do you wish you had done things differently in hindsight? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I had my kid, I wish, you know, I was working at the time and I spent a lot of time at my job um, and not as much time as I would have liked at my home, eight, 10, 12 hour days sometimes, because we were in the middle of launching a product and, and, you know, building out this, this dot com. And so, you know, my, my, at the time, my uh, family time was largely defined by my weekends and my evenings. And that was something that at the time I, I hated, you know, I remember hating it at the time. And I remember wishing I had a different way of, you know, getting off of that, that, uh, that paycheck treadmill that I was on, just living from paycheck to paycheck and working for every dollar that I, that I had. And, you know, if I could go back, I would, I would figure out a different way of, I don't know, starting my own business, building some passive income, doing anything, but, you know, working a nine to five while trying to build a family like that. I think that that is a, an absolute bummer for, for people who have to go through that. Um, and I empathize with mothers and fathers everywhere who have to work, um, you know, for somebody else while, while trying to build a family. Yeah. I imagine that that is so painful. I mean, each day leaving and knowing that, you know, you're not going to come back for an entire day. It's dark when you come home and then you've got maybe a meal and an hour to spend with this little loved one who you're trying to create into a, a good human. I mean, it's just, um, that is quite painful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, let's go to Christy first, so I don't so I don't leave you out. Uh, Christy, how about you? Have you ever been in a situation where your job had to take priority over your personal goals? And do you wish you had done things differently in hindsight? I have, I have sort of in the sense that my job is my life. Um, <laughs> it's just because of the kind, the particular job that I have and the way that I have chosen to run my business, because it is my business, um, I actually just haven't really experienced that as much as the fact that I just spend way too much time working in my job and on my job instead of spending time like creating, <laughs> creating my personal life. <laughs> so yeah, I I guess. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm not really able to answer this question properly. So I'm just going to wield the mic. Well, I mean, that brings up a, a, a good point, though. Do we need to separate? I mean, for some, yeah, they're going to separate their job from their personal goals. But I think for some people, they would say their personal goals were their job. You know, it it's tough if you've got a family where that, you know, you're personal goal is to be with your your kids or something but if at this point in time you know everything is about the career or the company the the organization that you're trying to build um maybe there doesn't have to be 
you know, any tearing apart of these things. So yeah, that's, I, I think it's fair to, to, to not be torn. So Lasha, you're, you've got a little explosion there. Let's go to you. Have you ever been in a situation where your job had to take priority over your goals? And do you wish you had done things differently in hindsight? Well, my job has always taken priority over my goals because I'm a single mother. So I have to work no matter what. I'm working 24-7. So sometimes I'm pulling double and triple D and double and triple time. Um, but I love what I do, honestly. Um, and I think that if it, but it's taken me a while. It took me a very, very long time to get there. I wish I'd had a partner more to, um, to be, you know, a supportive system so I can, you know, have someone who's there in order. It doesn't matter for what, just there <laughs> just to sit there and bitch about the kids, man. I really wish I did have a partner that I was able to do that with. And so, um, you know, doing it from a single person's perspective, um, with absolutely zero contact whatsoever with, um, the, uh, with my daughter's father, it's just, it's, it takes on a different perspective. So yeah, I have, um, but I think that's why I craft, I've been working diligently towards crafting my life so that the two of us can be as close to each other and that I enjoy my work more when she's around. I want, I don't want her to see me as the, the one who had to sacrifice all the time and go to work and hate my job and all that. I want her to be passionate about what she decides to do. So I have to take it from a different perspective because if I'm always crying about not spending enough time with her, then she's going to have that same guilt. I'm, I'm sorry, let me rephrase. If I complain or if I make it seem as though being at work is detrimental to me building a relationship with her, then it's going to mean that she's always going to have that guilt as well if she decides to be a mother and leave her child. The only thing I wish that I'd had was a little bit more time with her as an infant, just, you know, doing the, the weird quirky things that you giggle with with your children when they're first around. But yeah, I think that was the only thing that I really wished on. So I feel both T and Christy and everyone else because I do have serious guilt about it at times, but that's why I work so hard to craft. Thank you for that. I really appreciate you being so open about it. Um, uh, I do want to go to Charlotte. Charlotte, thanks for coming up on stage. I just wanted to make sure, uh, T, did you have any response at this point? just my my heart goes out to to everyone you know it's one of those things where i uh i, I feel you thank you well charlotte we had a discussion yesterday uh and it came down to um you know and we'll talk more about romance in a little bit but it was about romance in the military and at the at jobs so this is why i thought this one might be interesting for you although i didn't ask it in the exact same way as what we were talking about yesterday um i i wondered have you ever been in a situation where your job had to take priority over your personal goals uh, or wishes i guess and do you wish you had done things differently in hindsight what, what brings what what comes up for you with this well, the goal was, if I can reframe that, is that the goal was for my own safety on the job. Once I was under military contract, which I chose, and I realized you know, how significant the dragnet for people in the LGBTQ 
community serving in the military um, were at risk, then the, the focus on my career was to stay safe and to not be detected. And so as a result, when Marianne and I met, which was, uh, we started dating in uh, October 1992, when I was sent on orders for, for additional training, uh, so I was out of town, we couldn't communicate. We couldn't communicate via phone, via letters. That's something we used to send to each other <laughs> before there was <laughs> texting and emails. Um, we couldn't communicate in any particular way. We just had to do all of our communicating before I either shipped out or, you know, went went on on orders away from from where we lived. So I did make those decisions to do so, but it was mostly for self-preservation to be able to continue my career on this side of the bars. Um, had I been caught, I would have been thrown in the brig. I'm so fortunate that I wasn't caught. A part of that was by living safely and not discussing anything about my private life at work. So I guess in that situation, and I want to thank you for being so candid about these stories that you share with us here. I think it, it means a lot to me, and I think it's really educational. So I, I thank you for your honesty. But the, the last part of my question was, do you wish you had done things differently? But you really couldn't have done anything differently. I guess you wish you could have been able to do things differently. You know, like nowadays, people don't have to hide or hide as much. Do you have any comments on that? What I chose to do as a result of these experiences is not to be victimized by it, but to take it on as my responsibility to possibly and hopefully affect change. And that's why I, I mentioned um, last week or a couple weeks ago, that, that becoming involved in legislation uh, to make those changes happen became a part of my understanding of, uh, that, that this, this had to be part of my identity too. That if I'm going to be, you know, get my ass kicked because of the way things are, or get kicked out of my career, or kicked out of a job because of, of a particular opinion about who I am as a human being, that um, I wanted to be part of that change. And, and that's why I began writing legislation. Marianne and I uh, wrote legislation together and meeting with politicians. So I would just focus on the problems that we incur as human beings, but also the, the, the ways that we find um, uh, to heal ourselves and to carry on. Because right. inevitably, that's what we all have to do. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, no, I and, and I, I know a little bit more of your story. We know each other personally, and I, I really um, am inspired by the actions that you take in order to um, move all of us forward. So I, I do appreciate that. What I'm going to do now is loop around because we've asked a couple of questions or a, a question for each of the episodes, and I have a couple of more questions and one for each of the episodes. So maybe what I can do is we'll make this part a little bit fun and we'll go back to Q&A. And this is where number one uh, and Spock are stuck in the turbo lift. And number one talked about Spock's freaky. And what I wanted to know of the crew is what is your freaky? Perhaps it's something you keep secret that you'd like to share here, or it's something others just don't expect from you. So let's start with you, the director, if you're still around. What is your freaky? 
I'm going to plead the fifth on this one. <laughs> okay. Well, is there something that you'd like to, that something that others don't expect from you, right? That you come across as one thing and, and yet you've got this little thing inside you that you are willing to share that is just, it, it's counterintuitive. <laughs> okay, you can plead the fifth and we'll we'll get you back in when we talk about music a little bit more. <laughs> T, what about you? Maybe you could break the ice on this. T, what is your freaky? Perhaps it's something you keep secret that you'd like to share or something that others don't expect from you. Um, I have the entirety of The Smoke Off by Shel Silverstein memorized and can bust it out takes about i don't know 14 or 15 minutes in total just you know standing there and going you know reciting this very in-depth poem about um two people who uh get into a a joint rolling contest and it's just a lot of fun it's a really great poem and people don't see it coming they don't think that you know i i can do something that long or make a performance that long without some sort of prompt or script that I'm reading from, but I can just right there, you know, right in front of your eyes. So it's uh, my freaky, I guess. That is terrific. I mean, coming okay. on the heels of last week where we were talking about you being an introvert that, I mean, imagine that performance that's great yeah charlotte yeah go i gotta hear this <laughs> so maybe not today t but i would so love to hear this you mentioned joint rolling and yeah you had me there so yeah my freaky too i can totally imagine all of this i must have missed the introverted part of the conversation but i can totally it i can see t on top of a podium somewhere on stage reciting macbeth to everyone in a freaking audience at one point I, I can see this in my mind's eye i don't know I'm, i would expect that from you well i guess there are a lot of performers who are introverts in general they don't want to talk about themselves but once they get to performing they're good like my husband's quite introverted but if he's starting to tell jokes or he can make somebody laugh. He's really happy to do that. Just don't ask him anything about himself. He's not interested in that at all. <laughs> so, so T, um, maybe if we have time today, you can give us a couple of verses. What do you think about that? I'm, I'm, I, what I'm doing here is is letting you um, budget for the energy. <laughs> all right. I mean, if you really, you can close out the show that way at the end here, if you like. Ah, perfect. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Um, yeah. We're making really good time today. A little bit of a smaller crew. So Lasha, come on. <laughs> what is your freaky? Okay. We all know I'm freaky as hell anyway. So it's no surprise that I have a few of them. I don't believe in like guilty pleasures. I believe that all pleasures should be enjoyed fervently and with, with enthusiasm as much as you'd like, as long as you're not hurting anyone. Um, but for me, I'm super flexible, which most people wouldn't expect. But the most thing, the, the most surprising to people is that I can be and usually am with my partners extremely submissive. Extremely. <laughs> you would not think that at all, like very much so. So that's something that's uh, um, uh, unknown for most. They automatically assume that I'm the one that's always in charge. No, not usually. Uh -huh. 
very interesting. Very good. What about you, Christy? What is your freaky? Well, I think we talked a teeny bit about this, although you might not have heard me because of my terrible signal yesterday. But I don't really like the idea of a freaky. Like, I don't think it's freaky. I mean, I think that people are people and everybody has totally interesting aspects to themselves. We're all a diamond with multiple facets. I mean, so it just drives me crazy that I have to say, I don't know, like to me, when you say, what's your freaky? I'm not you specifically, Victoria. I just mean <laughs> in general, when somebody says that, it makes me think that it's supposed to be something that you might be slightly ashamed of or something, which I, I don't like at all. I just don't, I don't believe that that's how it should be. I just think, I think everybody has really interesting aspects of themselves. And so, I mean, like I, you know, I like, I played the bass trombone in the jazz band. A lot of people don't have any idea about that. I played the tuba in the marching owl band um, at the mob, the mob, which is the marching owl band for Rice University. I mean, so I have lots of little aspects of myself that people just have no idea that I did or that I do. And so, so I just, I just object at the idea that it's a freaky, <laughs> if that makes sense. So anyway, I'm going to yield the mic. Thanks. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I don't, I, I'm with you and Lasha. Lasha just said, you know, no guilty pleasures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess it's just something that, you know, is not the primary thing that people see about you. Uh, something that's maybe intimate. Like for me, I don't think it's going to surprise people, but they wouldn't necessarily expect it, I guess. But I'm really good. Not only do I like doing it, but I am really good at making up personal as well as very naughty limericks. I'm a great limerick writer. And I will do it for people for their birthdays. And that's what I put in their cards or for an event or something like that. I've done it for invitations. Um, I love it. Or if somebody's, you know, if a few people at a party are are joking around and, and I don't really tell really good jokes, they might be using words that I put into a limerick and I'll just sit quietly and write out a limerick and, and then say, I got something for you. And it'll just be like this really naughty limerick and it might have some really not safe for work words in it. Right. And that surprises people right? Because I don't usually use those words. And I don't usually talk in a truck driver manner, say, uh, I like it, I just don't usually do it. And so it comes across as something funny and shocking. And I like to kind of keep that a secret in some way, because if it became the thing I was known for, then it wouldn't have the impact that it has when say number one broke out in song with Pirates of Penzance, right? So that's, I consider that that's to me what freaky means, if that helps at all. Uh, and no, I'm not gonna recite any naughty limericks today, but but maybe later, I, maybe at the I've end of the year. I've got one for you, Victoria. I've got oh, one go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you again. I keep doing that and I'm trying not to, but there once, there once was a Victoria from Vancouver who got her knickers caught in a Hoover. And I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, Steve, over to you. What is your preaky? And 
and again, it doesn't it doesn't have to be something that there's no shame involved in this. Well, yeah. So I guess I I think the most astounding, perhaps surprising thing for me is I genuinely, before this conversation started, thought that I would I would most likely be the only one who would have that message to give of like no goddamn shame fuck it all like just be out and proud of any freaky shit that you have uh also i want to mention um christy uh i too trombone and and uh, tuba march march with the sousaphone uh so that's pretty cool the one thing that comes to mind that i think would probably be like the most I guess, like unexpected that I'm completely out about with my friends with, uh, and, and anywhere it's considered legal and I won't get in trouble for mentioning it is um, uh, pet play. Like um, I, I uh, had discovered once long ago with uh, one of my, my partners that um, when, when I just improvised uh, uh, being a small puppy and she, um, you know, gave me commands and and really appreciated my performance. It meant the whole fucking world to me. I was I was just locked into the role of I'm a small puppy and I know a few tricks. And it was it was so fucking awesome. Uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't help but just love that my performance was appreciated so much by by the other person. That's great. I, I love your perspective on that, that you, yeah, that it brought you so much happiness, right? That's great. Charlotte, what about you? Here's, here's my freaky. Um, and, and I, beyond freaky on this is, um, I'm a drummer. And um, it's, it's, it was very clear to me at a, at a very young age that this is something that I needed to do was be a drummer. And um, I started tapping uh, as a little kid. My mom said when she was pregnant with me that she would get around the radio or turn on uh, a record and she could, she could feel my response to that when she was carrying me, when she was pregnant with me. And um, it's something that I kind of had to fight for at times. My father was not on board with me being a drummer. We had all kinds of instruments in the house. I was the youngest, and my brothers and sisters had um, played various instruments, and he wanted me to choose one of those. It was economics. And, um, but I saved up my babysitting money, my lawn mowing money, my farming money um, to be able to get my, my first proper snare drum because I was playing on boxes and, and other things before that. But um, I am a drummer and I have studied all kinds of rhythms and my love for drumming has gotten me all different places and been my favorite therapy by far. Um, I went to college on a music scholarship because of, um, because of my ability to play percussion instruments and to study and perform rudiments. Um, so yeah, that's my... That's my freaky, the one that I can mention here. <laughs> right. If we have such a, a great uh, stage of people. Well, I do want to ask this next question. So T, in Innocence, Tuvok sings an old folk song that he used to sing to his children. Is singing part of your culture? 
And if so, is there a folk song from your culture or your life that brings you peace? Maybe that you've shared with others to bring them peace? It was definitely a, a lot of my culture growing up. As a kid, we listened to kids songs. And I, I very clearly remember, you know, singing along to the Tickle Tune Typhoon and some others. Um, but I think that what really, what really changed my life with regards to music is I, I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12. And I, I stole my dad's uh, little box of cassettes that he, you know, he had a cassette holder and had his old cassettes. And I think I found um, the Doobie Brothers and I started listening to China Grove and um, Jesus is just all right with me and all of those and rock and roll changed my life. That was when I realized that there was more to this music stuff than, than sort of what I had been exposed to and that there was something really special about it. And that began my journey because up until then I had been disallowed from watching MTV. And so I started sneaking in MTV whenever I could and learning about this, this culture. And by the time I was 13, I was, you know, openly and defiantly watching MTV. Like, you know, my mom said, you're not allowed to watch that. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to watch it anyway. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have to fight me on this one. This is a hill I'm willing to die on. And, you know, eventually she had to, she had to give up on that. Right. Um, and I remember, you know, being inspired at, at the age of 15 by rock the vote and all of the musicians who were talking about the importance of voting. And, uh, I remember, you know, when, uh, you know, the, when the Michael Jackson videos used to come out and how we would all gather around the TV to watch those. And there was some, there was some really important moments that were defined you know, by, by, by music, we are the world and, you know, all of that stuff, you know, was looking back on it, it all feels a little silly, but at the time it was, it was very important to us. It was something that we were very involved in and it was something that we lived through in, in much the same way that, you know, we sort of are living through things today that I think will be uh, defined by music. Uh, Kurt Cobain dying, uh, all of the all of the things that you know sort of walk me through my life in terms of music. That is the culture that I grew up in. Oh, the Doobie Brothers, man! You just saying those songs, it took me back. Like I, I mean, I'm, it it's almost like a time traveling transporter of some sort. I can, I, the Doobie Brothers, man, that's, that's great. That's road trip music for me. So thank you for that great, great memory. So the director, is singing part of your culture? And if so, is there a folk song from your culture that brings you peace or that you use to bring others peace? Ooh, everybody in my family can sing but me. I am purely a visual artist uh and the rest of them are 
guitar playing or bass playing or sousaphone playing or you know whatever they 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 all have that magical gift and it's just something that missed me but i don't know i was trying to think one of the things that i would do when i was uh, a young father and i had small children that were afraid of things at night is they would call me in and i would do a secret dance for them to scare off all the scary things and uh and we called it the bougie bougie dance it's not politically correct um but it is highly effective at scaring away monsters <laughs> and only my children know what the bougie bougie dance is my wife doesn't or yeah my wife doesn't even know the things we do for our children it was the most hilarious and the cutest thing ever oh yeah i love that that's really sweet i I, I love this conversation because it's bringing up for me, and I hope it is for you guys, things that you hadn't thought about before. Even spending time with you all yesterday at the watch party, it's not the same as being here when we're in this room. And you tell these stories, and I start thinking of things that uh, just haven't come to mind in ages. What I wanted to share was just my friend who I mentioned earlier, who I traveled with to see our other friend. Uh, we have this little thing and we both love A Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim. And my girlfriend, Paige, has a, a wonderful singing voice. She doesn't sing as a performance. She sings to soothe people, like it's for her kids and her mum sung to her and everything. So she's not one of these people who sits around and plays guitar. And, and in fact, I'll, I'll say she doesn't even get the lyrics of rock songs right all the time. But she does this thing for me on my birthday on occasion. And she sings the song, or even just a little bit of the song, Barbara Allen. And I don't know if you know that, that song where they're waltzing, where they say, in a scarlet town where I was born, there was a fair maid dwelling. It, it, made, it made many a youth cry well a day. Her name was Barbara Allen. And it's such a beautiful melody that I just butchered. And her voice in it, it brings me a moment of peace it really does so peace through music was a great name for this because that when she sings that to me it just feels right like there's just this rightness to it and my holidays are my folk music when i was thinking of culture i thought oh, i don't really have a culture you know i'm i was raised in the 70s and 80s in canada right but then i realized well i do sort of christmas to us we weren't were we're religious so christmas to us was all around Andy Williams and the Williams brothers. So my go-to, which I butcher because I, I have performed and I have sung, but unless I'm trained to do these certain songs, I don't do them very well. But I love the song, It's the Holiday Season. And it is so groovy. And when Andy Williams does It's the Holiday Season, so whoop-dee-doo and dickery-dock and don't forget to hang up your sock, I am all over that. And it to me, I never thought of this as being like a folk song or cultural, but I, I think I now understand the feeling that people have towards that music. And I never really felt like I had any of that, but I think I do. It 
just as different. It's not handed down from 200 generations of old, old songs. They're new songs that just become part of our lives. And they really are woven into our lives. Um, just as, as T was talking about the Doobie Brothers, and it brought me back to a time and a place that's very specific and wonderful. So um, thank you all for sharing all of this. Uh, I just needed to get that out. Did anybody else want to share their uh, singing culture? Well, I mean, we Black folk like to sing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just one of the things that we did do for a long time. Um, it's always usually started off, you know, tribal spiritualism, naturalism, um, ways that we've just been able to get through um work through fields it's always been you know without having to talk about this word of course uh being a way of survival and uh and perseverance um during civil war i mean civil rights movements we you know saying to get through marches and strikes and and things like that things that really touch souls we sing with funerals <laughs> we sing at weddings we sing at baby showers y'all we sing all the time um and i think that that's just it's a normal thing we sing while we cook um in, in in my Latin family, <laughs> same thing. We sing, we dance. We there. It's music has always been a connected thread. It kind of just runs through our blood. It's things that we've um, always, always, always done. So, yes. Um, to add another perspective to this, yes, absolutely. Culturally, it's just what we do. Thank you, Lasha. <laughs> I noticed the time I got carried away here. We usually take a little bit of a break and talk about what's uh, upcoming. And so perhaps we can do that now, uh, T. And then I'll put the question to Jamesy and we can do a little bit of popcorn. But T, are you uh, ready and able? Yes, definitely. The list is getting troublingly short here, Victoria. I don't know what to do because I'm so used to having like all of this planned out and now it feels like there's there's just not much left. But uh, we'll be back for season two, and I'm really excited about that. Um, on the 20th here, we're going to be doing Trouble with Transporters, which starts with Tuvix, one of my favorite ones, in which Tuvok and Neelix get merged into a single person, followed by the Realm of Fear, in which Barkley uh, finds a problem in the transporter when he goes to uh, transport, and everybody thinks that it's just a him being uh, scared for no reason, but there really is a danger lurking inside. Finally, Second Chances, in which we discover that Riker actually um, had his, his teleporter beam redirected back to uh, his original position in an away, in a, a away team and has spent uh, a number of years down on the surface. And when they rediscover him, there's now two Rikers. Uh, after that, we're going to be taking a break for Thanksgiving, so there will be no show on the 27th. However, on the 4th of December, we're doing Spies and Their Lies, starting with the Enterprise Incident, The Face of the Enemy, and Our Man Bashir, which I'm really excited about that episode in particular. And then uh, finally, on the 11th of December, we're doing Did You See What They're Wearing, starting with Star Trek for the, the Undiscovered Country, uh, fr uh, then Friday's Child, and The Way of the Warrior. It will be the end of season one, but we are planning on coming back for season two. And we have been very hard at work 
to bring you some excitements for the uh, holiday break here that's coming up. Um, so there's going to be some really great announcements ne next week. And I do hope you stay tuned for that, uh, you know, same bat time, same bat channel. But we've got some very cool things planned for uh, next week for you. Big, big announcements. Yes, uh, he has been working very, very hard and uh, makes me smile. I love that we had a couple of uh, idea for a couple of Clubhouse rooms and, and now we've just got this whole community and uh, on Clubhouse and off. And I'm really hoping that some of the community uh, and the people that we're talking to outside of Clubhouse start to join us on Clubhouse. There's a little bit of overlap, but I, I would love to have a little bit more. Each each week though, we always we have one or two new people who come up on the stage and a few more people who, who listen in the audience. So that's that's great. There's no shortage of Star Trek fans on Clubhouse. That is for sure. So uh, one day we'll get everybody who's joined the the club to to come into the room. Maybe we can do that for the the first episode of next season. So Jamesy, I know that you've been here for a little bit, and I know sometimes you're listening because you're busy. Um, you've come up on stage, which I love. Uh, what prompted you to come up on stage? What question would you like to answer? What would you like to contribute? Hey, uh, good morning. So I think most of the people that know me know that I, I work in mental health and I feel like we kind of finally started touching on the tangents of that subject. So th this PTR is uh, when Picard finds himself living an entire life's experience within the course of a couple minutes and the, the flute kind of gets left behind for him and that kind of becomes like his uh, his grounding for that experience. And I, I think that experience kind of helps him to validate like why he's a Starfleet man instead of a family man. It's because he got to have that experience. I think it accounts for a lot of his wisdom. Um, it was the flute that he played in the residence chamber with the uh, star startographer. So it's kind of made repeat appearances. But uh, I just want to kind of like speak to the therapeutic value of music for a second. Um, we, we do music therapy at work, and it's always kind of interesting vetting what we're going to like process with the client, because a lot of times the music they want to listen to is like directly relating to their trauma and can actually like traumatize another client. But that doesn't mean that it can't be done. You just have to be like very careful in, in how you frame that stuff. And that, um, the idea that music kind of anchors and grounds us in something has been used fairly successfully, I think, with uh, Alzheimer's patients. It doesn't necessarily like make them remember, but it does seem to give them um, quite a bit of, of stability. So I'll just say briefly, um, for studying, I'm a big fan of industrial music, and for productivity, I listen to a lot of sea shanties. Sea shanties, that's great. <laughs> I kind of love that the sea sand the sea shanties. <laughs> well, if you um if you did want to leave time for uh, the smoke off, now might be a good time, Victoria. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, what I would like to do is have us just close out with that and just let you run for as long as you want to run, if that's okay. And you just when you stop talking, I'll close the room. Sounds good to me. So I just want to thank 
everybody for coming today and sharing your thoughts and feelings about music and what it means in your life and for giving all of us something different to think about. It's just, it's amazing. Thank you. And I do hope that you come back next week for the Trouble with Transporters. I think it's going to be great. And we do actually have some announcements to make and there'll be some new fun stuff to share. So this has been Star Trek Sundays, Peace Through Music episode 15 and we're going to close out with t go ahead t well thank you victoria um some of you may know shell silverstein i certainly grew grew up with him what a lot of people don't know about him is that he smoked a lot of pot um and he wrote a song that he used to sing um sort of in his more private moments with his friends um called the smoke off and i don't know how the song itself goes but uh it was sort of memorialized as a as an epic poem and it's the poem that i've memorized and so i present to you the smoke off by shell silverstein in the laid-back california town of sunny san rafael lived a girl named pearl sweetcake you probably knew her well She'd been stoned 15 of her 18 years, and the story was widely told that she could smoke him faster than anyone could roll. Her legend finally reached New York, that walk-up Grove Street flat, where dwelt the Calistoga Kid, a beatnik from the past. With long brown lightning fingers, he takes a cultured toke and says, Hell, Jim, I can roll him faster than any chick can smoke. So a note gets sent back to San Rafael for the championship of the world. The kid demands a smoke-off. Well, bring him on, screams Pearl. I'll grind his fingers off his hands. He'll roll until he drops. Says the, says the Calistoga kid, I'll smoke that chick till she blows up and pops. So they run out Yankee Stadium, and the word is quickly spread, come one, come all, who walk or crawl. Price, just two lids ahead. And from every town in Hamlet, over land and sea they speed, the world's greatest smokers with the world's greatest weed. Hashishers from Morocco, hemp smokers from Peru, and the shamniks from Bangladesh who smoke the deadly pergaroo, and those who call it light of life, and those who call it boo. See the dealers and the ladies wearing turquoise, lace, and leather. See the narcos and the closet smokers puffing all together. From the teenies who smoke legal, to the ones who've done some time, to the old man who smoked reefer back before it was a crime. And the grand old house that Ruth built is filled with the smoke and cries of 50,000 screaming heads, all stoned out of their minds. And, the play, and they play the national anthem, and the crowd lets out a roar, and the spotlight hits and hit the kid and Pearl, ready for their smoke and war. At a table piled high with as high as a mountain peak, just tops of buds and rarest flowers, not one stem, branch, or seed. Maui, Wowie, Panama Red, Acapulco Gold, key from East Afghanistan, and rare Alaskan cold. Sticks from Thailand, ganja from the islands, and Bangkok's blooming best. And some of that wet and ported shit that capsized off Key West. 
Oxican tops, Kenya bongs, and Riviera fleurs, and some of that rare Manhattan silver that grows down in the New York sewers. There's bubbling ice cold lemonade, and there's sweet grapes by the bunches. There's Hershey bars and Oreos, in case anybody gets the munchies. And the Calistoga kid, he sneers and pearly, well, she just grins. And the drum rolls low, and the crowd yells, go! And the world's first smoke-off begins. Kid flicks his magic fingers once, and zap, that first joint's rolled. And Pearl takes one drag with her mighty lungs, and whoosh, that roach is cold. Then the kid rolls his super bomb that paralyzes a moose, and Pearly takes one mega hit, and poof, that bomb's diffused. Then he rolls three in just ten seconds, and she smokes him up in nine. And everybody sits back in their seats and says, wow, well this just might take some time. See the blur of flying fingers, see the red coal burning bright, as the morning fades to evening and the evening fades to night, and the autumn turns to summer and the whole damn year is gone. But the two still sit on the Roachfield stage, smoking and rolling on. With trembling hands, he'd roll his jays, with fingers blue and stiff, and she coughs and stares with bloodshot gaze and blows through blistered lips. And as, she re as he reaches out his hand for another stick of gold, he gasps, God damn it, bitch! There's nothing left to roll! Nothing left to roll, screams Pearl. Is this some twisted joke? I didn't come here to fuck around, man. I came here to smoke. And she reaches across the table, and she grabs his bony sleeve, and she crumbles his body between her hands, like dry and brittle leaves, flicking out the teeth and bones, like useless stems and seeds. And she rolls him in a zigzag, and she lights him like a roach, and the fastest man with the fastest hands goes up in a puff of smoke. In the laid-back California town of sunny San Rafael lives a girl named Pearly Sweetcake. Now you probably know her well, cause she's been stoned 21 of her 24 years. And man, that story is widely told how she can smoke him faster than anyone can roll. Well, off in New York City, on a street that has no name, there's the hands of the Calistoga Kid in the Viper Hall of Fame. And underneath his fingers, there's a little golden scroll that says, beware of being the roller when there's nothing left to roll. Brilliant. Bravo. Absolutely brilliant. Bravo. That was I, beautiful. I could not close the room without saying brilliant. So thank you, T. With that, we'll close the room and we hope to see you next week. See you next week, everyone. See you in the hallways.